Is water the solution to all the world's energy problems? I mean, can renewable energy sources get a lot better, produce a lot more power when submerged in water? Well, let's find out. Hello, I'm Daniel Apoor. Welcome to the Hard Tech Podcast. This is yet another live stream. So um, it's going to be our second live stream. I, As I explained last week, um, I want to transition to this format because it's more interactive and it allows me um, basically communicate with a community of people interested um, or intrigued uh, with uh, hardware technology, especially when you're thinking about the future and thinking about what hardware companies are creating and working on, right? Again, on this show, on the Hard Tech Podcast, the idea is to provide you guys insights into new and emerging hardware and physical tech. The channel is more focused on areas like robotics, energy, healthcare, transportation, and, you know, segments like that, not just smartphones and, 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 uh, and computers. So please subscribe to the channel if you haven't already so that you can see uh, videos and know when, when I'm going to go live. Um, now, you're going to get the best value out of this channel if you're working within a hardware tech space, especially with startups or smaller companies trying to make a change and trying to impact the future. But if you're involved with tech in general, you're still going to get a lot of value also because um, hardware tech is going to impact your life in some way. Um, and whether, whether you're a tech person or not, you, you also learn a lot about what the future holds. You know, So it's, it, this is a good place to be, trust me. So how, how, again, how, how, how do we do this? Every Tuesday... I'll be releasing interviews with guests. We're premiering them on YouTube. Uh, these guests will be the founders of hardware companies, hardware tech companies, or you know people who have created some form of hardware tech that that will be impactful. And these videos will be re released every Tuesday, right? I will also be going live every Friday, just like today, on YouTube to discuss hardware tech space, right? So discuss new developments, uh, recent progress made that, that that's significant. And this is going to be 11 a.m. Eastern time on Fridays. Okay. That's, that's a hard tech podcast. Um, one major announcement. The first guest interview was released last Tuesday. I had a very wonderful chat with Brett Walker the CEO of Electron Inks. Uh, we talked about advanced manufacturing, the effect of generative AI on manufacturing, and the Austin, Texas uh, startup ecosystem. So we are active on five social media channels or social media platforms. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok. Uh, on all those channels, the username is Podcast. one word. Hard Tech Podcast as a username. Uh, the links are in the description of this video. And you can also listen to us via audio, right? On Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
and RSS and, and many other platforms too, but those are the major ones right now. Um, okay, so that's the intro right there. I want to get into the discussion for today. As I explained earlier on, the general concept of this channel is to provide you guys with value, valuable insight into what's going on within the hardware tech space. So every week on Friday, I'm going to discuss uh, recent progress made. Today, we'll talk about the future of work with augmented reality. Uh, ship, a ship that transports you know, up to two gigawatt hours of electricity in batteries. Nuclear fusion, which has been promised for 2028, and I'll explain why, what I mean by that. And the main event, which is floating power sources. So by, 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 by allowing renewable energy power sources to float on water, can you significantly increase the power output? Can you also apply this to a lot of other energy sources or, or power, power sources, right? That's what, that's what we're going to get into in the main event. So as I, as I go about this live stream, as I discuss with you all, please ask questions and comment in the chat. Um, and this channel is uh, fairly new. We have more than a thousand subscribers now. So, so I, I imagine I'm, you know, just like last week, we're going to get some comments and we're going to get some questions also. Uh, so I'll, I'll be reading all of them and answering your questions. Uh, you can also suggest, you know, any topic you want me to talk about, right? And you can also leave your comments in, on this video after the live stream. Okay. Uh, let's get into the first major topic major uh, subject right here, right? The future of work with augmented reality. Future of work with augmented reality. I know what you guys are thinking right now, especially if you've been paying attention to the recent uh, announcement by Apple, right? Apple this week released uh, the Apple Vision Pro, right? Basically, Apple is going all in on spatial computing and basically they built a computer that users can interact with. So users are basically interacting with, with a floating computer, right? Floating in thin air. Now, this discussion is not about Apple and this is not the breaking news channel, right? Here we're going, we, we, we're going to be focused more on um, technologies that have been worked on by uh, mostly unknown smaller entities, you know, uh, people who work in the background and people who do things that, that are harder to do typically and uh, a lot more impactful and typically less flashy, uh, but are going to be very useful. So the Apple Vision Pro is, is fine and all, but that's not what this is all about. But it's a good introduction into the topic, right? So... If Apple is going all in, and Apple is basically the biggest hardware tech company in the world, right? Then it means augmented reality is going to be huge going forward. Apple built the Vision Pro, so just like the iPhone and the iTunes Store previously, the idea is to create an ecosystem so that people can build apps and you know, and and they can make a lot of money out of that. But there are other ecosystems out outside of the Apple OS 
that are more niche uh, are focused on just one use case, right? And as a result, they are a lot more impactful. They're not like the um, Vision Pro that does basically everything at this point, right? So let's discuss a practical use case that I believe will be widely adopted. Um, this use case is perfect for work. Introducing space stop, right? I'm going to share this video right here. I'm going to play this for you guys. Before I even explain what's going on, let me just play the video. I believe this is the best way to show you what's going on right here. Okay, just, um, I believe the, the video has uh, a good, and a good uh, uh, voiceover that explains everything. So I'll just let it play. Your space is perfect. It's exactly what you want, exactly what you need. It's where you do your best work, where you focus, where you find your creative flow. Your space means everything to you. And now, your space has no limits. Introducing the world's first augmented reality laptop because the best part of your space is that it's yours. Meet Spacetop. Where will you take it? Okay, so as you guys uh, must have heard or, or watched, depending on whether you're listening to this or watching this, um, this is Spacetop. And I, I'm going to play the video again. And just to illustrate some important points here. So, like I said, it's very niche. It's very useful for work. It's perfect. It's exactly what you want. So on this on this screen right here, on this um, uh, and this and it, what, what I'm watching right now, what I'm looking at is someone working, and it looks like they have several two monitors in front of them, right? Exactly what you need. It's where you do your best work, where you focus, where you find your creative flow. Your space means everything to you. Yeah, and right now it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like eight monitors in front of. And now, your space in front has of her. no limits. But turns out, she just put out a, a pair of glasses that, and this is not like the Vision Pro. This is just, it looks like. Um, a slightly thicker, um, how would you say, a slightly thicker uh, sunglass or sun pair of sunglasses, right? Introducing. So it doesn't stand out that much. Reality laptop. And basically, the idea is uh, the idea is is to use is to augment your your experience. Right, that's what augmented reality is, right? But anyway, bottom line is, Spacetop is a laptop, very small looking laptop, and in combination with a pair of augmented reality glasses, you can basically display your work across as many screens as possible. I think uh, the company developing this, Sightful, says that um, you have a virtual hundred-inch screen with the ability to display as many windows and apps as you need. Right. Um, let me make myself bigger here on the screen. Uh, stop sharing this. 
Okay. And it's available by for, for purchase through an invitation only early access program for two thousand dollars. So, you know the, the price of a of a of a of a very good laptop, I guess. Um, and they will start delivering in July. This is not an endorsement of the Space Stop laptop, okay? But uh, just giving you an idea that there are many other ecosystems out there that are very niche, and. I believe the more niche it is, especially if the company knows what it's doing, the more impactful it can be and the more the more useful it's going to be for your specific need. So if you don't need uh, <laughs> a Division Pro, right, that does pretty much everything, and you just want it for work, you just want it for what, what I mean, there could be an ecosystem right now being developed for school, uh, school work, or just uh, for teaching, for education, and systems developed for just movies, for just gaming things like that so i'll probably do a detailed analysis of of the developments within the ar and vr so augmented reality virtual reality space especially you know discussing what companies in the in the shadows are working on right and just to see what impact uh this is going to have in the near future again apple has it's made it obvious that they're taking it seriously. So the space is going to be huge. That's for sure. So that's it. For the rest of this show, we're going to be talking about energy. Uh, energy is my area of expertise. As I said earlier, in, in, as I said in, in the previous live stream last week, this is, where I've, this is where I've worked pretty much all of my life and built a, a startup in the space also. All right. So the next topic is, let's share this tab instead. Uh, the next topic is something bizarre, right? Again, please leave your comments uh, in, in the uh, leave your comments in the chat. Okay, I'll be reading them as soon as I see them. Um, okay, so this next topic very interesting. It's a ship that transports that can transport up to two gigawatts of electricity in batteries. Wow, what does that mean? Two gigawatts of electricity in batteries, right? It's it's crazy, but watch this. Oh, hold on. Let me, uh, <laughs> again, let me share this again real quick. All right, let's, let's do that again. Okay. All right. I think in this case, because some of you are listening to me via audio, I'm going to illustrate what I'm watching, right? So, says basically the video is saying a new way to carry electricity, a new way to carry electricity across the oceans, connecting reeds, connecting islands, connecting nations, up to. Let me go back and look at that again. Connecting it. Uh, okay. I think it's up to 731 kilometers. Well, in, in 2040. It's going to be able to travel that far. No, it's actually... Anyway, it looks like almost 1,000 kilometers of... of, of uh, that's how far the, the, they can transport this. 
connecting the planet with renewable energy, introducing a new technology. And it's called a battery tanker. It transports gigawatts hours of electricity across the oceans. Tanker looks great. Looks well designed. Okay. Clean energy is sent to the ship for ultra fast charging. So already you know that means the, <laughs> the ship is loaded with a ton of batteries, right? carried across the oceans so you can have different sizes of the tankers for different missions right depending on what you need there's a 2 gigawatt model and then there's a 240 megawatt model also sent to where the energy is needed efficient thermal power plants across the world right retrofitted as charging station so if you have a decommissioned power plant thermal power plant you can retrofit it as a as a charging station with with this battery tanker that just traveled across the ocean to the station, I guess. Battery tanker with bridge reefs, connecting cities and nations, creating the world's first power grid of the oceans, right? And this is launching in 2025, right? Launching in 2025, so. I thought this was a this is a good uh, introduction to you know the main discussion I'm going to get into later on because I'm trying to illustrate a point about how water is being used. Basically, it's it's very critical to uh, the um, facilit facilitation, I guess, of uh, of adoption of renewable energy. So, as you've seen, let me uh, make myself full screen here. As you've seen, it's a Slightly bizarre concept, especially when you consider the amount of energy that is needed to power the tanker versus the amount of energy that is transported in the batteries, right? So, but it's interesting nonetheless for emergencies or other special use cases. Uh, you know, if you if, if there's an island that's just out of power and there's no no backup power uh, sources around, you know, transporting power with a ship might uh, might make sense even if <laughs> you're using a lot of power to, to do that in the process okay let's talk about something else that is a bit bizarre and this doesn't have much to do with water but still um still it's still good to discuss nuclear fusion this this over a few weeks ago i think about three weeks to a month ago i i think there was this uh there was a lot of force being made about nuclear fusion and how it could be ready very soon, right? It could be ready in five years. Nuclear fusion is being promised for 2028. Now, before I, uh, I, I, go, into, I go into discussing um, the company, you know, working on this, let me just quickly describe nuclear fusion, right? I know some of you know what it is, but let's describe it for everybody. According to the Department of Energy and basically everyone else, this is the definition of nuclear fusion. 
it's basically when two light nuclei merge to form a single heavier nucleus, right? I'm going to highlight this right here, right? So basically, typically, it's the deuterium and the, and the tritium, right, that react and they produce a helium nucleus and a high-energy neutron. In the process of all this, you know, you know, technical stuff, right? In the process of, of, of this fusion, energy is produced. Okay? So very basic. Two light nuclei merge to form a single heavier, heavier nucleus, or you can say uh, deuterium and tritium merge, fuse, to produce a helium nucleus and a high energy neutron. Okay? Bottom line is, in this process of nuclear fusion, energy is released. Okay, so let's get that out of here. Now let's share in this tab now. So just, just a quick uh, photo analysis about nuclear, nuclear energy in general, all right? So you've heard about nuclear energy, regardless of whether you're in space or, or not. Now, current nuclear plants use a process called nuclear fission, which, for the sake of simplicity, we can say is the opposite of nuclear fusion, right? Um, so, there's in, in in that case, there's a split, right, of an atom for nuclear fission, right? All of the nuclear plants currently use nuclear fission, not nuclear fusion, and that's because that's partly because it's easier to control than nuclear fusion. However, nuclear fusion releases several times the energy generated by fission, making it a far more powerful process. So you can imagine why a lot of people have been clamoring for it. I've been trying to see if it's possible. If it's possible to make it work, right? Because it just releases a lot more power, a lot more energy than nuclear fission, right? But it's not nuclear fusion is not being used anywhere right now to produce energy. I mean, obviously experiments are being done, but it's not being used at all. Now, let's introduce this company. I already have it up on the screen. Helion, right? <laughs> Helion uh, was all over the news, um, well, tech news, a few weeks ago because they promised to have nuclear fusion tech ready by 2028. So five years from now. That's incredible, right? Uh, and... That wouldn't have that wouldn't have made any like impact in the news or most people wouldn't have heard about it if not for the fact that it's backed by the CEO of OpenAI, right? You want if if you don't know what OpenAI is, OpenAI is the company that created the uh, the AI tool ChatGPT, right? So CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, and they've already lined up Microsoft as their first customer. So Microsoft is the first customer of Helion and is being backed by the guys who uh, created ChatGPT. So it's very interesting. Um, and I'm interested to see what will be worked on over the next five years to make this possible. I have to say that most people within the scientific community are very spect uh, skeptical about the uh, feasibility of nuclear fusion. Now, apparently... 
not just skeptical, they actually doubt that it could work, like really doubt, right? Um, that it will work, but we'll see, we'll see. It's been backed by some of the world's most powerful people, so. All right, I know you guys have been waiting. Let's get into the main event. Into the main event. Floating power sources. Now, <laughs> this is very, very uh, intriguing. Uh, and I uh, decided to talk about this topic today because I, I came across something uh, about two weeks ago or so. Uh, and that was wind turbines floating in the ocean, right? If you drive across uh, most, um, I want to say, well, not most. If you drive around some areas in the U.S. that are not very populated, you, uh, maybe you're taking a road trip, you might, you might drive and on the side of the roads start seeing some really big wind turbines, right? Um, they're typically located far away from where people live, right? And this point is very important because I'm going to explain how that changes with, with, with oceans. Um, and, and that's typically where you see them, but you probably haven't seen one in water before, right? Okay. So now I'm going to try to expand all, uh, expand that concept across all our renewable energy sources, right? So if you think about the most common forms of renewable energy, it's wind, solar, uh, hydro, and geothermal, right? But could water, one of Earth's largest natural resources, be key to making renewable energy um, be key to making renew renewable energy sufficient for powering the entire world? Is that is that a possibility? You think? Um, let's 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 analyze this a little bit. We'll start with wind, right? Now, just keep in mind, as a general concept, with with wind, wind turbines in the oceans have uh, more wind to work with, right? There's more wind across water, and you can build a really, really large wind turbine because of the amount of space you have to work with. So let's share this tab right here. Just to give you a quick synopsis, and this is very this, this video is very self-explanatory. I'll come back and, and, and discuss this right after. Okay, let's share this real quick. But bigger is always better in the world of wind. The reason is simple. We can harness more wind with bigger rotors to produce more energy. But onshore turbines have their limits. To meet these challenges, engineers have been moving offshore. However, we only have so much coast to work with and the most powerful winds are in the open ocean where the water is much, much deeper. What if we could push the boundaries even further? The wind industry is currently doing just that, which is why floating wind turbines are suddenly so huge. By sending these skyscraper-sized floating structures out to sea, we can take advantage of faster, more consistent wind. That still leaves some big questions, though. So let's address the elephant, or maybe the turbine, in the room. Why are floating wind turbines gigantic in the first place? And can the scale of floating wind be practical to meet the planet's energy needs? Is floating wind overblown? Okay. So, as I explained earlier on, you can get bigger uh, rotors. You can um, get access to more, more wind, right? There are other factors that we, we need to also consider. Let me play this part of the video real quick. 
uh, right here, right about here. Okay. Nice. At the world's first commercial floating wind farm, High Winds Scotland, each of its five Siemens turbines managed to stay stable with a tower head mass of around 350 tons atop a spar buoy with roughly 6,060 tons of ballast in waters that are 95 to 120 meters deep, which is about 311 to 393 feet for us Americans. And these babies surf the waves at a hub height of 98 meters or 322 feet. And these proportions sound pretty, well, quixotic, but the results are very real. When you widen a turbine's swept area, you enable it to capture more wind and generate more power. And one gargantuan turbine could do the job of many. Take the Halyard X, manufactured by the US-based company General Electric. It can provide enough energy for a UK household for two days with one rotation. Yeah, a big wind turbine, just one rotation, like, you know, one rotation of the turbine could power an entire house. I'm sure it's 220 meter rotor and max height of 260 meters might have something to do with that. And to put those numbers into perspective, the largest passenger plane, the Airbus A380, a380 flies with a wingspan of 80 meters and offshore wind isn't just skyrocketing in size it's shooting up in popularity as well according to the german technology company siemens 2021 saw global offshore wind capacity expand by a record 18 gigawatts that brings us to about 51 gigawatts of collective capacity in total so why offshore well location 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 wind speeds are higher and more uniform off the shore than on land on top of this we usually like to settle down relatively close to the coast and according to the United Nations, about 40% of people around the world live within 100 kilometers or 60 miles of the sea. In the U.S.'s case, the majority of the population is concentrated in the states that border either the ocean or the Great Lakes. As a result, almost 80% of the country's electricity demand stems from these areas. And this makes offshore wind particularly convenient because their proximity allows for shorter transmission lines. Okay, so you guys get the general gist of... Um, of what's going on here so bigger rotors more wind more power produced simply because you can allow them to float well with anchors obviously um attached to them so they don't topple over you can allow them to basically you can allow them to float on water and that produces more power okay you get you get the overall analysis and the overall idea but now you're probably thinking okay that's wind turbines what else well, check this video out. And I'm going to illustrate here wherever um, wherever there's, there's no sound because there's a lot of text on the screen. Okay, so it says that floating solar catches on in the US. So apparently this has become, this has been going on in other countries and in other places, right? So floating solar catches on in the US. Okay. We see that uh, the projects are becoming not only more common, we have, we're up to 28 projects totaling 33 megawatts in the U.S. so far, but the projects are getting bigger and bigger. What we're seeing is where we have population density islands in California, in the Northeast, and Florida. Those are the hot markets here in the U.S. where, again, they don't have land or land is very expensive. Okay. So, uh, it's catching on in areas where they don't have land or land is very expensive, right? Especially in coastal areas uh, around the U.S. Uh, here on the screen, it says something about uh, there's, there's been a rapid growth in this uh, concept in 
Asian countries like Japan and Malaysia, right? But it's just starting to boom now in the US. So here it says they're attractive not just for their clean power and lack of a uh, land footprint, but because they conserve water by preventing evaporation. So here it's showing like It's really important to do these innovative projects and test out new technology. We always need to find new ways to have clean energy on the grid. Uh, something that's not as traditional as, as we've been experimenting with or been doing. So the floating solar is nice. We'll be able to use different bodies of water that aren't really used for recreational purposes. Okay, so here it says thousands of cities across the world could generate an amount equal to all their electricity demand using floating solar, according to a new study. So, yes. Basically saying this is how solar becomes powerful enough to power an entire city. If you just lay uh, solar panels across across a body of water along the coast, right? Okay, and that's pretty much it. All right. That's fascinating and all. Uh, solar looks more uh, attractive in terms of, you know, it's easy for us to think about, you know, taking solar panels and, and placing them on the water, right? That seems more doable, I, I guess that's a word, than than wind turbines. Those, those are huge. Some wind turbines are as, <laughs> as tall as some of the tallest buildings, right? Especially if you, if you can put them on water. So the advantages of solar, it uses, it utilizes the advantages of solar on a body of water, right? Means it utilizes unused water space, generates more electricity due to the cooling effects of water, right? So if, if, if the solar panels can cool down, then it can generate more power. It reduces the evaporation of water, so it helps the, the body of water from rem uh, to remain the same or um, around the same level, I guess. Uh, since the solar panels prevent the water itself from evaporating. And just like the floating wind turbines, right, uh, the, the advantage of the proximity to large coastal uh, populations is, is very important. Because then you can have your solar panels on the body of water right next to a, to, a, to, a, um, to a beach town or to a beach city or something like that. But I'm very curious. What about the damage or possible damage to the ecosystem beneath the solar panels? Right. In the case of the um, in the case of the wind turbines, um, you can you can basically say that most of the most of the volume of the wind turbine is way above the water. Right. You only have a small amount, a small volume or a small area of the uh, of the wind turbine underneath the water surface, right? And if it's floating, it means it's probably moving all the time, even if ever so slightly. But with solar panels, you have, as you guys saw in the video, you have an entire, let me, let me show you that again real quick here. Like, for example, this, you have, you have an entire, this, 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 this looks like a lake, I think. 
This lake looks like it's covered by, by solar panels by almost 70, 80% of it is covered, right? So it's, it's, it's covering the, the water like a, like a blanket, basically. That's, a, that's actually a good way to describe it, like a blanket, right? So I'm, I'm concerned about how the company is working on this would address the effect to the ecosystem beneath, right? So uh, Ryan here says uh, that floating solar panels uh, are not good for the environment. Well, you'd have to explain that in detail. If you're echoing my point about, um, about the ecosystem, then you might be right because we don't know what damage is going to be to the plants, uh, sea animals, fish underneath uh, the water surface, right? So that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Let me read that comment here. It says, you should talk about uh, electric vehicles and, and what's going on in that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm an energy guy, so... You, you guarantee to see a lot of discussions on electric vehicles in the near future from me, that's for sure. So I'll do a breakdown probably in the next few weeks on that. And, you know, recent developments. I won't be talking about the electric vehicle as a whole, but we're talking about some niche developments, right? Like battery tech, uh, self-driving tech and things like that. And I'll try to break it down in, 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 in detail as much as I can. Okay. So now we've we've talked about wind. We've talked about wind. We've talked about solar, and how you can basically by by placing wind turbines in 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 water and by placing um, solar panels on water, you can basically power entire cities and power entire uh, communities. Unlike if you just place them on land. Because in the case of wind turbines, you have less wind. In the case of solar panels, um, you just produce more power because now you can cool solar panels down. You can use a larger body of water versus land space that is not available on the coast typically, right? For things like that. And you have proximity to, to where you want to power. You, you have proximity to the cities or the towns that you want to power, right? Close proximity. How about... Um, Let's, let's get into this, this one right here. What if you just need a small amount of energy? You, you don't, you're, not, you're not trying to power an entire city, right? You're not trying to power an entire uh, uh, community, right? You need a small amount of energy and you're nearby flowing water. You know, you're nearby you know, a body of water that's flowing. Let's talk about hydroelectricity, electricity, sorry, using small hydro turbines this isn't new technology right but it fits you know with this discussion some of you probably know someone or you've done it yourself where you build this you've seen someone build a small wind um, hydro turbine and basically put in water and generate electricity from that as a result right but let's let's look at this video real quick and i think this one is also illustrative the water doesn't need to be very deep nor the current very strong. Only enough for the small rotor blade to float free in the water. Its inventors say Blue Freedom is the world's smallest hydroelectric power plant. It takes just minutes to assemble. 
Once placed into moving water, the turbine transfers the energy to a mini-generator in the shape of a ring. The ring then just needs to be secured on a stick nearby. The electricity is stored in batteries. It certainly looks easy enough. It is easy. You just need a stick and you're away. And there you have your mini hydropower plant. The advantage is that you can take it anywhere. Anytime I need electricity, I get out my blue freedom and generate whatever I need. With a river, it's very easy, because the density of the water is a thousand times greater than that of air. So you can keep the equipment really small and still have immense power. That's the beauty of it. Okay, so that's, like I said, it's, it might be new to some of some people, but this is not very new. But it illustrates the point even further. So you have a flowing river, you place a small wind turbine, and the, the, the gentleman in this video is using a very small wind turbine to charge his phone just by placing the turbine in a body in a, in, a, in, a, in a flowing river and connecting, you know, connecting it to his phone, right? Uh, so that's very interesting. I've actually heard of situations in which people have used this device to power a small house. So if you live by a body of water and it's flowing, think about what you could do, right? So overall, it, you know, it begs the question, like I said earlier on, can we really use a body of water to solve the world's energy problems, right? And a more intriguing question is, what other forms of energy, renewable or not, Right? What other forms of energy could be greatly enhanced by a body of water? Right? That's that's a very important question. And that's 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 it. That's the discussion today. That's the discussion as a main event. Uh the impact of water on 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 increased energy output, increased power output. Okay. Now I will make some announcements before I close out the show. As from next week, guys, I am going to make each live, live stream focused on, on one major topic because I want to do an in-depth analysis of, of the topics and I want to focus a lot on, on, like I said at the beginning of the show, on what um, companies are working on and what we could see in the near future rather than just uh, an overview, right? And next week, I'm thinking about uh, a concept of using the roads that we drive on to power our cars. Is that possible? Well, you'll be surprised at what people are working on right now and what is close to being adopted. Uh, so how can, how, can, how, can, how can your car be charged just as you drive, right? All right. So that's pretty much it for today. Uh, please like and share this video also subscribe to the channel thanks for the comments and thanks for the interaction um today i appreciate you guys tuning in appreciate you guys listening again our first uh, guest interview was released last week um sorry this week actually this tuesday uh with brett walker from electron inks that was a very very good discussion we went into his background we talked about advanced manufacturing and all that the next guest video will actually be released on Tuesday 
next week. So uh, please make sure you uh, subscribe so you can see that video when it arrives. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you all on the next one.